0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist, shut-in and podcaster and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host Sam Ashurst and I'm a writer,
1: I'm a director and I'm a podcast person uh, who is proud to be doing this uh, with my friend Dan Martin. Uh, Even if... He doesn't necessarily like the film we're about to cover. Um, (laughs) uh, When this was suggested, Dan was very upfront and honest and said he wasn't a fan of the film. Um, I was wondering if he would feel differently after watching it. Dan, did you?
0: Um, I've certainly warmed to it a little bit. Right. But I think it's context rather than the film itself. So... Genuinely, Dan,
1: genuinely, um, when I suggested this, I wondered if context would shift your perception of it. Because obviously, we watched this together years and years ago, when when Obama was still president. And it was a bit of a shock
0: to the system um to a certain extent oh i don't i, I don't mean context as in the world around us oh right okay <laughs> tell me more um I, I mean having listened to hours upon hours of audio commentaries ah. uh, and having heard people like pollyanna who i respect greatly yeah. talk about it with passion
1: yeah absolutely yeah uh the the commentaries are are fantastic but should we um get on to the plot of the film and then and then we'll go on to everything else
0: yeah are we okay to talk about the film in its entirety i would quite like to
1: Okay, let this this week let's do that. We gave people fair warning that we were going to be covering this film um and, yeah. and we did ask them to watch it and it is available. Um so uh Precious Arrowhead And it's a
0: a more recent one. It's played yeah. festivals in, you know, recent years or recentish years. So, yeah.
1: So this is going to be one of our rare spoilerific podcasts. So if you haven't seen the film, you know, just skip ahead to the end for recommendations <laughs> the, i guess to the
0: very <laughs> yeah. end or or don't skip ahead just pause um, it, but watch yeah the movie, um, and then join us for a discussion yes. of the film
1: exactly um oh it'd be nice to to talk about a whole film for once so yeah dan um uh take it away with the plot
0: well as okay yeah yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that in a bit <laughs> um so uh, the film opens on the titular woman uh, played by Pollyanna, cleaning a, a gut wound, a stab wound in her stomach in a river. She's very dirty. She's wearing rags. She's carrying a hunting knife. We we don't really know much about her unless we have seen the prequel. The first time we watched it, I didn't know there was a prequel. Same. And I think that actually, again, the order I watched them in helped this time. Yeah. We then get treated to a slice of life with a, a slightly uncanny uh, sort of modern American family. Father's a bit stuck up, but that's part of the course with a lot of those sort of like dynamics uh, especially in genre and cinema um but as the film goes on we find out that he's more and more obviously um an absolute piece of shit and the sort of inciting incident for the main narrative of the story is that he he when he sees pollyanna um while he's out hunting uh he he catches her in a net and yeah. takes her home locks her up in her basement and you would assume that the rest of the movie is going to be a sort of sliding doors, uh, a grim sliding doors uh, farce situation, closing door farce, where, not sliding doors, where he's keeping her a secret from his family, but actually they are so emotionally broken that they just put up with all this shit and he's able to do it right in front of them for the rest of the movie until ultimately, um, you know, the the traditional genre revenge happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, That's about the size of it, yeah. And yeah, what you said about the not just the context of the extra features, but also of the extra film that's available in this this limited edition. Um, I think that was a huge thing for me as well, Um, because I also decided to watch Offspring first and then the woman and the difference in quality is quite stark.
0: Well, you might be surprised to find out that I actually, pref- even with my slight reassessment of, uh, of the woman, I, I preferred offspring. <laughs> oh, this is going to be an interesting discussion
1: then. Excellent. Um, yeah, t- t- tell, tell me why.
0: Well, okay, so offspring is uh, a little less proficiently made. But it benefits from a thing that's not really fair to judge the woman on, which is that the woman was made at an uncomfortable point in filmmaking where independent films had to be shot on a particular type of digital camera that just didn't look great. Yeah. So while the the actual technical proficiency of the camera work is fine, like, you know, the, the shot choices are nice, the movements are good, it's well put together, it just never looks particularly nice. And that's not something that will make me write off a film. You know, we watch a lot of very low-budget or independent films and we'll you know that's never going to be something we'll we'll judge a film on but the because offspring was shot on film and was cheap it felt kind of grindhousey and that almost felt like it was excusing the problems whereas the stuff in woman still felt like the the places where i felt woman didn't work felt less excused because it felt more proficient
1: yeah, that's interesting. And it kind of... Offspring is more in line with genre that that, that you're a fan of, which is the kind of Italian cannibal films. Um,
0: yeah, well, it's got... I'd say it's somewhere between a cannibal movie and Hills Have Eyes.
1: Oh, 100%. And I guess that's kind of what I find interesting about that transition from Offspring to The Woman. I don't want to leave Offspring just yet, but that idea that Offspring is more traditional Hills Have Eyes-style movie... Whereas yeah. um, the woman is more of a man is the real monster type movie where um, what would traditionally be the kind of family that would be captured by cannibals in a Hillsurvise-style movie are actually mm-hmm. worse than the cannibals themselves. Um, and that, well, but, that was mean, a kind of I, way in that I didn't really have last some... time.
0: Yeah. Go on. It's not so much that they're worse than the cannibals themselves, it's that there are more of them. <laughs> <laughs> they have better they have better resources. In in Offspring, the cannibals outnumber the guys with guns. Sure. So, you know, there's a, literally a bit in Offspring, and I don't want to talk too much about the actual content of Offspring because it's a, uh, a lesser you know, the people who have seen the woman might not have seen offspring and I think yeah. it's worth watching. Yeah. Even if you've already seen the woman. Um, yeah. But there's a there's one of my one of my favourite bits in Offspring is uh, when a person who has seen the cannibal tribe and its encroachment onto civilization is rightfully panicking. Yeah, And he's a you know, nasty piece of shit himself. And, and he's like, well, no, I'm not going back there. He's telling the police about them. I'm not going back there. And they're like, did they have weapons? And he's like, well, they had knives and stuff. And the policemen say, well, we've got guns. I think we'll be fine. And then when they got there, they are very much not fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, if Pollyanna hadn't been taken by surprise at the beginning of The Woman, then it was, it was that one moment of of power offset which was the the, the moment of surprise, the, the, it, the well, it, surprise it, that the father it, had yeah and the fact that she's, and she's smart as enough well, that she um, she bides her time and she's able to wait until she has an opportunity and the first opportunity she gets they're fucked
1: absolutely absolutely but i just mean that kind of genre sort of the the genre twist yeah. rather than um like worst in time in terms of kind of power dynamic um yeah it's it's showing that the kind of quote-unquote traditional american family though obviously traditional is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence um but but that kind of um that kind of patriarch that kind of misogynist um is as scary and as dangerous as uh cannibal (laughs) um and i just found that yeah i mean interesting this time
0: yeah i mean i think the thing is that man being the greatest monster isn't Particularly fresh these days like you know it's a it no it, to the extent that if it isn't something that's played with in a, a genre film it feels like it's not done a thing that that film has to do yeah um and then on top of that it skirts so many interesting things and I think a lot of my uh, a lot of my sort of reappraisal is that they were obviously trying to deal with a lot of this stuff. Like hearing them talk about it in the commentary, these things were in their mind when they were doing it. I just think they didn't quite go deep enough on a lot of them, and that that all the way through that left me feeling like both the sexual violence was unjust was unmerited because mm-hmm. it hadn't been earned in the same way. Uh, I don't mean in the same way as uh, offspring. It's not really earned an offspring either uh but in the same way as it could have been but but also it left me disappointed that it wasn't more sort of like full-throatedly dealing with some of these things like the the idea of inherited misogyny yeah is 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 a really interesting thing and a fantastic like subject sub-subject for a man is the word is the greatest monster um film to tackle and listening to the audio commentary, it was obviously something that they had in their mind, but it just never quite came to the fore. What does See, really I, I, shine I, I... through... Sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say, just on that point, like uh, that actually did come across for me. Um, like, his son is terrifying. Yeah. And in my notes, I've said he's basically a prepubescent version of his father, and some of the film's creepiest moments involve Junior. I, I do think that's there. Oh. I think go
0: on but that's what th- that's the skirting <laughs> that's where they promised that they would address it and then right. it wasn't anything more than just like nodding to it right so so I think, some I think bad the things stuff, that really... yeah but i'm um, he, he and he does but it's not it, it's not enough to show that he's a, a psychopath in the making i felt that the film mm. could have done more to address like that as a concept and why that is like how that is a, an inbuilt societal issue that we learn. The, like, that it's not so much that the sins of the father will be visited upon the flesh of the son, it's that the sins of the father will mm. be repeated by the hand of the son. They're like, you know, he learns from this guy. Just as the youngest daughter, yeah. Darlin, who ends up being the subject of the third film, is so wide eyed and innocent that when she's confronted by the woman at the end, she's not scared because she's been around monsters her mm. whole life. You know, and and that I, I do think that Darlin was a fantastic choice for the third film because she's she's a just in that moment she's a fantastic character. Yeah. But also, obviously, Pollyanna's just amazing in it. Yeah. So it's it, it's it it's it's not a it's not a bad film, but I wanted it to do more. I I yeah
1: no I I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, like it's it's very it's in places. I mean, I find him terrifying the whole way through that kid. I think it's a great performance by by that young actor, um, but yeah, we he's, don't he's good, really. He's good. It's stuff that's alluded to. You're right; they don't really show anything. So when his sister kind of catches him, kind of torturing the woman, uh, we don't see it. She, it. We just kind of see her reaction. And then that, there's that really creepy moment, like horrible moment towards the end, where um, when the teacher goes around and says that Peggy, the uh, Lauren Ashley Carter, uh, is is pregnant and there's a line about but she isn't seeing anyone so um are you saying that she's had sex with her brother you know something along those lines and i think that's it's obviously kind of he is the culprit or or that's kind of what they're alluding to i think the dad is the culprit Definitely, 100 um, yeah, percent. well and, he, says, and, he, he, he says he he says he acknowledges and, that and, he and just to finish that point yeah exa- exactly so but I think that line is kind of alluding to the fact that the, the like father, like son stuff that you're talking about, that that is a possibility, that the brother could have been doing something like that. Um, and the dad is kind of aware of it. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of stuff here that, that is maybe a little... It, it sounds strange, actually, to talk about the woman and say, hey, this is too subtle, because there's a lot about <laughs> it that isn't subtle at all. But I, I think some of the stuff with the mum it's very interesting um yeah she's she's a good character she's a great character and and she's a victim she's been brutalized um but there's a hint at complicity there like that moment where she's kind of he goes to sit on peggy's bed and it's really the atmosphere is really really wrong um and she kind of just stands in the doorway and 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 listens yeah it's kind of yeah it's weird that the film's kind of most sympathetic character is a meat chomping murderer who's covered in dirt and blood and communicates mainly via grunt, screams, and ultra violence. But um,
0: yeah, the, but, the, but also is the one is the one that gets like sexually assaulted on camera. So
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean,
0: that's like for example, I don't think we needed the rape scene in the film. Like the no, thing. no, yeah, that was that was. Uh, at best ill-advised and unnecessary at worst like maybe uh, you could argue it was sort of sensationalist and yeah I don't know but but I think yeah the thing is it it touches on a lot of very interesting stuff but because it's dealing with some very unpleasant stuff I feel that comes with a responsibility of acknowledgement and it maybe didn't do quite enough in that direction it certainly has a lot of points in its favour I am by no means saying it's a bad film
1: no, no, I understand that and um, yeah, some of that kind of edgy stuff um conf- you know confrontational stuff and and as you say, potentially gratuitous stuff it, the the kind of roots of this project it is particularly interesting because obviously this wasn't a book first unlike offspring and and the author Jack Ketchum. Uh, loved Pollyanna's performance so much. Um, He wanted to do kind of more with that character and him and Lucky McKee collaborated on the script and on the book that that got released. Um, And there's there's kind of a lot of information about this in the actual booklet itself that comes with the, the film. And that's something we don't always talk about. And Arrow's booklets, I love booklets. I love them as much as any extra. And this is a particularly good one. But it, it did make me think about the roots of, of both offspring and the woman, and it, it's Jack Ketchum is kind of a splatterpunk author, and a lot of those, a lot of his books and um, some of the splatterpunk short stories contain a lot of these kind of elements um, because they're out there to really shock um i don't yeah. have you, you have you read much jack ketchum or have you read any of the no? I've, 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 stuff? no, no I've, I've,
0: I've not read any ketchum i mean i think so I, I think again this goes back to offspring as well yeah one of the one of the reasons i liked offspring and one of the reasons th- that i liked it more than the woman hmm. is that when the violence gets going in offspring you've got sort of a couple of moments of almost like peter jackson level gore yeah the gore is amazing in offspring and i'm (laughs) and i'm always going to be won over by a horror film that puts its puts its eggs in that basket because it's that is why i am there for Grindhouse and exploitation cinema a lot of the time like like i like a bit of what the fuckery there is never a rape scene in a film where i enjoy it no but there are millions of deaths in films that i absolutely love
1: <laughs> i don't think though that anyone i certainly hope not anyway um i don't think anyone ever puts a rape scene in a film for the enjoyment of the audience i think it's always designed to make them feel uncomfortable um to... I
0: just, yeah but it always feels like a it's just a cheap it's a cheap shot right like it's, like there are films that do it deftly um i think as we move forwards it's it's harder and harder to justify, mm. but but I like it's so often a, a a tool to tell us about a male character, right? And yeah, I don't know. I just don't just don't get on with it. Yeah, which which you're going to throw right back in my face when we get to recommendations.
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm not I'm not going to throw it back in your face because I I completely I completely understand and hear where you're coming from. You know my perspective on it is similar in that obviously you know i hope that we don't know anyone that enjoys a, a rape scene in a film and i hope that obviously i'm sure no one listening to this enjoys that um but just from a filmmaking perspective the only way i will justify it is that it is uh a powerful tool to to make the audience feel uncomfortable and and you know um, and kind of al- almost traumatized by what they're seeing, and it, it adds a lot of power to the woman. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, I don't really know what's like. That okay, man. so. In in her audio commentary mm. on the film, yeah. Pollyanna quotes Faye Weldon, who's a feminist author, mm-hmm. uh, who got in a lot of trouble for saying rape is not the worst thing that can happen to a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, that's the only bit that Pollyanna quotes. And the, the the quote is slightly longer than that. It does say if she is alive and un unmarked or unhurt by the by the experience. She got in a lot of trouble for that at the time. But I think that that is kind of partly how um, Pollyanna justified it as a performer. And I am in no way, you know, I am not in any way in a position to to judge her artistic designs on that because she is the one that experienced that on set. But, But it also underlines that there are other ways you can show that a male character is horrible. There are other ways that you, you know, you don't have to go to that. It is definitely the easiest and the fastest because, n- you know, no right-thinking person watches a rape scene in a film and thinks, I mean, that guy's probably still fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, it, you know, it is it is efficient filmmaking, but I don't think that something being easy is always the thing that makes it the right choice.
1: Yeah. No, I, I like I say, um, I completely see where you're coming from like you're not wrong there's little bits and pieces that i noticed this time that i didn't notice on the first watch and actually interestingly this is my second watch since we watched it together all those years ago partly oh, really? partly because um the sexual violence stuff is just so unpleasant and it makes it so hard to watch so that's kind of an interesting point in in what you're saying as well but yeah uh because this was the first time i'd seen it when i knew exactly what was going to happen at the end uh there are a couple of little foreshadowing things that i noticed this time so um the the wedding ring um that gets bitten off and spat out the fact that it's there's a shot of it resting in a pool of blood is quite a nice visual metaphor for uh, the themes of the film And the moment where um, Darlin asks if the woman will accept a gingerbread man by saying, will she eat the little man? Um, I thought that was quite nice uh, this time around. Was there anything that you kind of uh, responded to this watch?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I do think... So just to quickly clarify, when I said, oh, really, I I thought you were saying you had watched it too... This wasn't the first time you'd watched it since the time we watched it before, rather than you saying this was the second time you'd watched it ever and therefore the first time you'd watched it since the time before. So, anyway. (laughs) um, Yeah, no, I mean, you know, like it's a a well-put-together script. The pacing is strong, the structure's strong. Um, There's a lot of nice little um, sort of motifs and a lot of sort of, like, ground-laying done. And I, I think the first time, and it was a long time ago we watched it, and I, to be honest, I don't fully remember, but I think there's a possibility that I didn't realise that the girl in the kennels was a sister and that she was actually an, like one of Pollyanna's people the first time we watched it. Yeah. I think I might not have realised that, but watching it four times in the last two days... <laughs> And obviously, you know, having the benefit of people talking... You know, if the filmmakers talking over it and pointing stuff out to me. I
1: mean, it, um, it, it does add so much. It's one of the sort of real special things about extra features. It adds so much. But sorry, go on.
0: Yeah, insight. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you just get so much insight. Um, the, yeah, like all the... You go and, uh, you know, she says, my girls, plural. Your sisters, she says, to, the, to, the, to one of the daughters, which indicates that there are at least two other daughters. Mm. little little things like that little turns of phrase that you'll miss the first time around because you're not looking for them but then mm. on a second watch you realize uh, and i think that that's always a a, a sign of a well-structured script is yeah. that they've they've it's consistent it's always moving towards the same point
1: a hundred percent and the film's kind of nihilistic tone did uh, upset some festival goers um there's footage of uh, someone being upset at Sundance I think uh, on the making of on this disc and there's actually in, in the booklet there's an essay about about that kind of response and kind of Lucky's intentions and all the rest of it yeah it, it is kind of interesting in the context of what you're saying because their justification is that they were making an anti-misogyny movie and and this guy who was upset at the festival believed it to be a misogynistic movie and I think from yeah. what you're saying, you feel it feels... it. From what you're saying, it falls
0: somewhere in the middle. Um, is that correct? I, I think the intentions were good. Yeah. And I don't think they fully succeeded. Right. That's it.
1: My favourite extra would probably be the Fright Fest Total Film panel discussion um, for yeah, 2011. Yeah, I mean, that's
0: nice little, little time travel for us.
1: Exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> really wonderful. And... Yeah, hosted by Jamie Graham, um, obviously of Total Film. And uh it's it's a good talk, isn't it? It's long and and yeah. because there's quite a lot of Jamie's interesting always good. stuff. Yeah, Jamie's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so yeah. I mean, what else do we have to say on this film? Anything more?
0: I, I I'm kind of dumb, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean I know I've I know I've I know I've railed on it a little. Um I hope people don't think that I'm I'm damning it too much. I just think you need to go in knowing what you're going to get. Yeah. Not that that helps anyone because we've talked, we've talked about the end. So <laughs> everyone, hopefully everyone's seen it uh, who's listening. But um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's I, I'm not sure I'll watch it again. No. I might watch Offspring again.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> just about to ask that. I mean, for me, I I wasn't as big into Offspring as, as you were, um, like... I, I thought some elements were a bit kind of red letter media best of the worst um some of the oh yeah no there's and, some
0: there's some there's some bits that are pretty bad but yeah. they're but they're fun you know yeah yeah and, no uh, yeah. and i think i think that's where it kind of succeeds for me is because its flaws it, it's at a place where its flaws kind of work in its favor as well and and
1: i think that arguably like i think in in both of films Pollyanna McIntosh is uh, uh mesmerizing and astonishing yeah. like just unreal but I, I think the performance is arguably more impressive in Offspring because everything else you know apart from a couple of amazing <laughs> she's Gora definitely
0: Hicks, yeah, elevated by contrast
1: yeah um you know I don't want to go in too harsh on it uh, and like you said I do think it's a worthwhile watch but again I think to just to warn people what they're in for it is yeah I mean, very much a yeah. b-movie
0: yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, it's not it's not a particularly amazing film technically, mm. but I enjoy it a lot more than Woman. Great.
1: All right. Well, um, I'd say two recommendations there. Really, you know, watch watch both at least once. And um,
0: yeah, yeah. And I would, I yeah. If you if you haven't already seen, if for some insane reason you <laughs> listen to this without having watched the Woman, I would say watch Offspring first.
1: Yeah. For sure. just because
0: they do they do line up so well it's it's very much like a sort of friday the 13th one friday the 13th two like segue yeah there is there there are minutes between the two of the two movies and, and as opposed to darlin which takes place a few years down the line
1: uh, and it's kind of it is insane it is insane that we and everybody else i would say watched the woman for the first time with no idea um that, yeah. that it was a sequel and how, some um, how important? That we were yeah, exactly. How important that original film is, and we just accepted. Oh, okay. So there's this woman in a stream, and she can't really talk, and she's bleeding um, for some reason. You know, it's good to join stories in the middle of a conversation. So, okay. Yeah, that's the most in media res yeah. of any film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, what's your
0: first recommendation based on the woman and maybe offspring? Well. So uh, it, this isn't my specific recommendation. It's a tacit acknowledgement at the end of our conversation about the woman that I do think it's very worth watching uh, Darlin as well yeah. uh, and finishing out the narrative. Pollyanna, uh, the star Pollyanna McIntosh, wrote and directed a sequel a few years later, and it's great. It's my favourite of the three. So, yeah. I, but that's not my first recommendation.
1: <laughs> that's all right. Well, what um, is...
0: So, uh, yeah, my first recommendation, uh, is L'Enfant Sauvage from 1970 by Francis Truffaut, Francois Truffaut, which is kind of like a, the feel good version of the woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah, good luck finding it. Um, it's, it's on prime in the States, uh, if you're in America, It's part of a viciously expensive and out-of-print box set in the UK. Um, It is actually on Vimeo in its entirety if you search around for it, although they've used a slightly longer title. uh, Wild Child is the English uh, translation. But uh, yeah, L'Enfant Sauvage from 1970. It's a black-and-white movie uh, set in the late 1700s. It's based on uh, government records of a feral child found in some woods in rural France who is initially taken to a school for the deaf and dumb because they can't speak this little boy um and then uh, the government's like ah he's clearly intellectually subnormal we're just going to stick him in an idiot bin and uh, a a kindly doctor played by trafo himself says i i think he's just been abandoned and uh, and is suffering because he's been alone for so long mm. and uh, can i have a small government stipend to look after him and the government says, yeah, sure, they give him a little bit of money for his housekeeper to to act like a nanny. And he sets about trying to teach this kid things. And he keeps a diary, which are then government records because it's funded. And Truffaut adapted the diaries because this is all the true story, adapted the diaries into this film. And it's absolutely amazing. But what I would say is if McKee and, and the guy who did Offspring and Pollyanna haven't seen it, it's astonishing how core some of the imagery is oh, to wow. us. When we think about inhuman humans, because like it starts with the kid bathing in a river and then hunters see it and it gets chased. And there's like interaction with dogs as representation of tamed predators, like held, like, you know, broken by humanity. There's yeah, there's so much that like tie the films together. If that if it wasn't an inspiration or maybe just for Ketchum. Then, uh, then it's it's an amazing coincidence. But yeah, it's a beautiful film and really, really worth checking out.
1: I think yeah, I you know who knows, but from from what you're saying, I, I think yeah, it, it's because Ketchum and Lucky McGee collaborated on the script. I would. Guess that Lucky McGee would be the person who, who was influenced by that rather than Ketchum but um, that is a pure guess and maybe one day we can find out but that is an amazing recommendation um, mine isn't as good as this and in fact my first recommendation Dan is going to be fine with my second recommendation he is not going to be fine with and it's partly my fault <laughs> and <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute uh, but the first recommendation is The Hills Have Eyes remake um, oh yeah yeah, just purely because I know I mentioned that inversion of the, the Hills of Ice kind of dynamic in The Woman, but what's uh, especially interesting about the remake is that it's another exploration of America as a concept. Um, yeah. there's, there's loads in it if you want to read it in that way. And so if you have already seen it and haven't picked up on that quite important theme um, then revisit the Hills of Eyes remake and watch out for that level of critique because it's, it's, um, it's quite an amazing film in that way. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's gung-ho Americana through the
1: eyes of a Frenchman. Exactly, <laughs> and 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 all the more beautiful for it. So um, my first recommendation, the Hills of Eyes remake, not as good as Dan's, but what
0: has he got next up his sleeve? Uh, it's a classic from 1978 called Day of the Woman, which you'll probably all know as I spit on your grave. Is, this, is this the one you thought I was going to get funny yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> after, my, after all my fucking complaining about sexual assault in films. Um, but, so the, two but key, the, the can two I just, key differences. Yeah, go, Yeah, go, go. the
1: one thing I want to say about that is, as you say, you know, it's it's your fur coat argument. Um, yeah. You know, so anyway. Uh, and maybe you should that's, explain what that is just in case no one's not, heard it before. That's not,
0: not mine. That's a, a fantastic insight by Colin Geddes. The fur coat argument. We were talking about uh, Goodbye, Uncle Tom, and uh, Colin said, uh, "The thing is, these films are like fur coats. They're still beautiful, but we just have to understand that we're not allowed to make them anymore." So there we go. Um, so yeah, so you can appreciate their qualities, but goddamn, they're not—they're off the table these days. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The, a couple of things about *Esperion Grove*. Firstly, it's sort of right at the beginning of this particular subgenre, hmm. which is essentially rape revenge. Although the woman has a little bit more to be revenged uh, than just the sexual assault, which is just sort of like a, a really shitty cherry on top, but also it's it's only about her experience. It's so raw and simple that there's ne- it's never about like the the guy and what it means about the guy. It's just about her and about her tipping point. And it's it, so it kind of takes a lot of the things that happen in the woman, a lot of the story points that happen in the woman, and it plays with them. But it's right there at the beginning in, in, yeah, in 78. And it, like that's another thing is that I just felt like in the woman, I wanted the violence at the end to be more aggressive, the violence against her captors. I wanted, I know she cut someone in half and she pulled someone's heart out. It didn't feel like enough. <laughs> Yeah, I've um, I've recently seen a, a non-revenge movie, but that still has that kind of structure, like the the oppression and then and then turning the tables movie. Uh, that's a new film that steals, steals borrows one of the main deaths from I Spit on Your Grave and doesn't do it as well as I Spit on Your Grave. And when you do something as iconic as that, and you bring to mind something that did it so well, you're always going to ask to be compared to the other film. I especially, for those of you who haven't seen it, I Spit in Your Grave comes with a huge fucking caveat, in that it is really unpleasant. The first two-thirds of the movie are diabolically violent against the female lead, and it's really, really nasty stuff. The director, Mia Zarchi, um, only did two movies, this and the wildly inferior Don't Mess With My Sister. You know what, she may have done another one. I don't think so. And um, And that's kind of the same narrative again, but much worse but it's got some really interesting choices in it camille keaton plays the fema, plays the lead in it daughter granddaughter of buster keaton um and she's astonishing in it but there are some just amazing like decisions made in it there's no uh, there's no non-diegetic music in the whole film there's no soundtrack to it and there's only two pieces of diegetic music in the movie one of them is a, a sort of a really foreboding bit of harmonica m- like music played by a, a, a a, a would be and ultimately is rapist character sort of like hillbilly playing this harmonica and then another one is a is a classical music record that Keaton puts on so that she can't hear one of the guys she's like avenging herself against bleeding to death from castration in a stairwell so she drowns out his sobs and pleas after he's been literally emasculated by playing this piece of classical music and then just sitting in a rocking chair and it's like That it gets the it gets the revenge level like up to eleven, and that that element of it works. But yeah, don't don't enter lightly with that one. It is a difficult fucking watch.
1: Yeah, um, but you know, like you say, an important film of its time. And um, if you haven't seen it, and if you can stomach it, then then you know you should watch it. And in fact, in the booklet, it's put alongside thriller. Uh, a cruel picture in terms of reference points for the woman. So that is a good one, um, Dan. Uh, my next recommendation is less good because it's telly and not a film. But it does star Sean Bridges, um, uh, who who plays the evil patriarch in The Woman. Uh, Here he's playing the slightly more likable Johnny. Um, And when I realized that, uh, watching it this time, I was quite surprised um, because very different performances. Uh, But the main reason I'm recommending it is because the kind of violence and misogyny that's at the heart of the woman's America can also be found here, only in slightly more Shakespearean style. One of my only great achievements of lockdown has been re-watching all three series of uh, this perfect show. If you haven't seen Deadwood, uh, the collected Blu-ray is about 16 quid on Amazon at the moment. That's all three series, so that's a bargain. It is a masterpiece of television. Dan, I'm sorry to recommend television. uh, But yeah, shall we
0: go on to stuff we've watched over the past couple of weeks? I'm going to start with one of those things I do occasionally where I'm going to give you a film I love and it's going to be an absolute bastard for you to find. I apologise about that. It's a mainland China action film, uh, and from the poster and some synopses, you would think it was a film about competitive bike racing. It is not, really. It's called uh, Crazy Racer, released internationally as Silver Medalist. It's from 2009, directed by a chap called Hao Ning. Um, Looking up about it after watching it, um, I'm pretty sure that the guys involved are some kind of troop because they've done a series of movies called, like, Crazy Heist, Crazy Alien, like, you know, there's lots of crazy movies that they've done together. And ostensibly, it's a kind of closing-door farce action film, which starts with a um, a competitive bike racer getting a, second, a silver medal, very nearly getting gold, um, and then immediately being tricked by someone into uh, taking something that will mean he tests positive for... Uh, amphetamines, so he's robbed of his medal, and um, and his career is over. And then there's a huge, like very complicated story about drugs being brought in and being like sold by some gangsters, and then. He like years later he is he's found like the guy who was responsible for robbing him of his medal, but also his coach has now died and he just wants to get the money to give his coach a proper burial um, and it's absolutely crazy and all over the place but the thing that I loved about it and this is something we talk about more with Korean films than Chinese films, but it has absolutely no idea of its own tone <laughs> and so it is absolutely crazy when it comes to what it deems acceptable and then every now and then it has these astonishingly showy set pieces in it for a, you know a comparatively low budget film so there is an asian uh, dvd that doesn't have subtitles you can do what i did which is buy the asian dvd rip it to your computer find a fan sub online and then pair them together through vlc i think there is a copy on youtube but i don't think it has subtitles yeah i but if you can and if that sounds attractive it's really worth tracking down really worth trying to find
1: Fantastic. Uh, I will try and find it. Okay, so. I can
0: send you the subtitle file.
1: Oh, thank you, Dan. And I'll, I'll... and the disc. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could do this for every single Arrowhead. Um, but yeah, uh... that would be
0: probably illegal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that is that is technically how piracy works. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want to do that. So, speaking of things we don't want to do. Uh, My next recommendation is uh, slightly easier for you to get hold of. In fact, some of you might already have this one. It is Empathy Inc., which is a recent Arrow video release. Um, And the reason I say it's about something we don't want to do, it's because the excellent premise is uh, a startup investor is pitched a VR system that allows people to live someone else's life. Um, and he can't wait to try it out. But the system comes at a very high cost, leading to a race against time to protect the people he cares about. Um, it is a great premise. The, the way it's delivered is essentially Muppet Babies. Chris Nolan... Um, with uh, a sprinkling of Darren Aronofsky in there too Um, it's many things at once it's a gritty science fiction thriller it's a metaphor for cinema and it's even very briefly a Cassavetti style street movie Um, and if you add in some subtle exploration of white collar exploitation of the working class uh, you've got a very compelling film Uh, the disc itself is relatively light Um, there's kind of a slightly weird 360-degree f- shot footage of, of a key scene um, being filmed. I haven't really seen uh, behind-the-scenes done in this style before, so that's quite interesting. Uh, there's some deleted scenes and there's a commentary. Um, but, yeah, the, the it's more about the film here. This is the kind of cool indie you'll want to show off to your friends it's like primer or or pi though it's obviously infinitely less complex than either of those masterpieces Um, but yeah empathy inc get it in your collection before your pals find it for themselves it is one that we're going to be talking about in in years to come because i think it's the start of an exciting career it's the second feature by yedia gorsetman the director but it feels like one of those early black-and-white features of of directors like Chris Nolan and and Darren Aronofsky that that people go back and revisit. But why revisit it when you can just watch it now? Empathy, Inc. It's great. Dan,
0: what's next from you? (laughs) When you described the plot, all that happened in my head was you went back to the carpet store, you beat cancer, and you went back to the carpet store. Why would you do that? That that doesn't chime with you, does it? No,
1: what is that from...
0: (laughs) It's Rick and Morty. There's a VR uh, game where you play as another man and you live like a lifetime in a few minutes. And, uh, and when the father comes out of it, they're like, you went back to the carpet. You beat cancer and you went back to the carpet store. I unfortunately because he made boring choices even in the VR world. I've got it.
1: I've got it. No, no, it's nice. Um, Rick and Morty is something that's unfortunately passed me by, but I know there are many, many arrowheads listening to this who will appreciate that more than me, and they are laughing. Um, Dan, what is next from you? Uh,
0: I recommend Rick and Morty. <laughs> I rest my case. I'm, I'm I'm astonished. You you yeah. Give it give it give it a go, Sam. Give okay, go. I will. No, my um my recommendation. It's on BFI Player, uh, for VOD, but it's actually an Arrow Academy release on disc. I think if they've still got it, um, it's a classic, and I'd never seen it before. Uh, it's My Life as a Dog, which I think you've mentioned on the podcast before, perhaps. Uh, Did you this. I don't think I have actually. I don't think I've seen it. So no. Oh man, it's it's beautiful. Oh, great. So I realised that just through chance, and I think possibly off the back of uh, um, through a cocktail of having recently watched The Human Condition, uh, and and you know what I was spurred to track down and start watching because of that, and because of like you know how people feel about the last four years in America and how that's translating into what we're getting in genre Cinema now. I've been mm. watching a lot of stuff with Nazis in it. Mm. and um, i just needed a break for from, from nazis so i've been actively watching nicer stuff <laughs> so yeah my life as a dog is a swedish picture from 1985 it's on criterion in the states um, set in the 50s it's about two uh, brothers who always fight and their m- single mother who looks after them well so I say single mother, they have a father, but he's down on the equator, and they don't know what he's doing. And they're always fighting, and she can't handle it. And so when she gets sick, they are shipped off to separately to different relatives. And it's really just a kind of like coming-of-age picture um, set in Sweden in the 50s. It's unbelievably charming. It touches on some really interesting and, and timely stuff. Obviously, like any coming-of-age movie, it deals with sexual awakening and all that kind of stuff, but also gender roles and... It's, yeah, it's touching and sweet, and I cried at the end, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Oh, it's absolutely wow. beautiful.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, uh, I will prioritise that and may even talk about it before um, in the next episode that we do um, because that sounds very much up my street. And anything that makes me cry at the moment is a good thing. I think getting rid of some emotions is uh, very positive for everyone
0: well, in these very trying times. One of the tropes that the young boy has in it is that when things go wrong in his life, when bad things happen and he feels like sad, he thinks about other people who've had it worse than him. And he's like, well, you know, it could be worse. It could be worse. And so it's filled with little narrations where he tells you about terrible things that have happened to people. Oh, wow. So he'll be like, yeah, this one time this guy took a shortcut across uh, an athletics field and he got a javelin in the chest. imagine how surprised he would have been <laughs> so you know things could have been worse for me i didn't get hit with a javelin
1: that's great that's
0: fantastic but, but the, the title takes uh its uh, lead from one of the stories that is obsessing him and that is laika the russian cosmonaut dog that is sent up in the spaceship and he's just like coming to terms with the fact that the people who sent her up there knew she was going to die
1: yeah dan i watched chernobyl for the first time
0: i've still not watched it i've seen loads of photographs of the makeup effects because i know some of the people involved and they're great obviously
1: yeah oh just insane insanely good i wouldn't i'm torn uh, to especially as you just said that you're watching stuff to take your mind off of the the bleak stuff um but i I don't mind bleak i just don't want fucking nazis (laughs) well there's no nazis in chernobyl so that's good um there is the kgb but that's a different story But uh, please don't come and get me, KGB, for saying that. Um, Yeah, watch Chernobyl, Dan. Watch Chernobyl. It is so up your street. It is insane. Um, Just your relationship with science and just how connected it is to what's going on um you know in in the news at at the moment
0: it's just you mean the massive and systemic underfunding of important aspects of government leading to huge death
1: yeah that and um the (laughs) the propping up of state scientists as well um and yeah and lots and lots of other things that are very relevant and interesting so yeah i i beg you to watch that that is a recommendation for dan martin but my
0: recommendation go on can I give can I give you a quick, not even a film, just for Sam recommendation? Yes. Do you know do you know much about Lyshenko, Sam? No, I don't. Uh Lyshenko was a Russian scientific advisor and a fucking idiot. Um, but because he was favoured, any scientist who disagreed with him was sent off to Siberia.
1: Oh Jesus.
0: Um, and it meant that for a long time Russia didn't stop believing in evolution and like loads of really fucking wacky shit. Yeah. Um, but he is a very interesting person to read about. So do yourself, yeah, do yourself a, a favor and just do a little internet dive into Lyshenko. I love it. Um, we're
1: giving we're uh, so giving the, everyone the term
0: Lyshenkoism, which is one of my favorite phrases. Yeah. Lyshenkoism is deliberately going along with incorrect science because it suits your ulterior motives. Wow. Wow. This is something that we are seeing a lot of at the moment. It really is. Jesus
1: Christ. Anyway, from from, from that to Nazis, <laughs> because my, <Yay>. my <laughs> recommendation is Foreign Affair. Um, ah. <laughs> sorry, uh, this wasn't right. planned, but um, it's actually out, I think, when this podcast goes up. It's out on um, June the 22nd, so mm, I think so. Uh, but it is a romantic comedy in set in post-war Berlin, which has many, many shots of bombed-out buildings. But yeah, Foreign Affair is another one of those Billy Wilder movies that makes you laugh despite the darker edge. Um, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Irma La Douche or The Apartment. Probably. It's It's a, 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 obviously not as great as either of those films, but it's still really good. Uh, it's got a couple of fantastic performances by Gene Arthur and uh, Marlene Dietrich, uh and a script that escalates beautifully uh and it's shot like a noir if you watched it with the sound off you'd think it was a drama um but there are lots of funny bits and unfortunately some nazis so
0: if you are trying to avoid nazis like dan do not watch foreign <laughs> affair but um if- i mean they're they're inescapable i i stop watching them on my screen and they just turn up on my fucking phone yeah they're everywhere
1: they are indeed um, everywhere
0: Incidentally, an auto-ran for my recommendations this week. I watched Fedora for the first time oh, last night. Oh,
1: cool. Excellent.
0: Um, which I really enjoyed. And aside from it having a third act that is nothing but expository dialogue, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's Wilder. So, yeah. it's well-written expository dialogue, at least. That was really fun. That was yeah. all I hadn't seen before.
1: Did you get that in the Billy Wilder sale?
0: Yes, I, I, I crumpled and bought a couple of discs on that. So, uh, let us
1: move on to extra features extra features extra features extra features extra features features. features. dan you have an extra feature
0: i do yeah well so when sam said that he wanted to talk about the woman i thought well why don't i talk to pollyanna oh amazing to move from being the actress in a franchise to an actress and a writer and a director in a franchise And uh, because Pollyanna is absolutely lovely, she was okay with this. So uh, I did an interview with her. And here it is. I'm uh, joined by Pollyanna McIntosh, uh, star of The Woman and director star of Darling, the sequel. Pollyanna, hi. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Um, Obviously, your character had already existed in two films in the franchise and was a very powerful presence within both of them. Had you, had you wanted to direct for a long time before you came to Darling? Or was it a, 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 a latter career shift?
2: Thank you for the good question right up front, by the way. Um, I should expect nothing less from anyone Im- involved with Arrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had actually made a 35-minute short called Perfect before, which was a very different kind of film. It was about a messy comedian living in LA and her lack of structure in her life and her uh, suicidal best friend. And this was made in 2014, and I had originally pitched the feature for someone else to direct, um, and I realised during that time that I really was ready to get going. Um, I used to direct a theatre when I was younger, and... um, it was the first time that I'd ever been in charge, you know, been driving the bus rather than being a cog in the wheel of something creative. So it was a big wake up to me that that was something I wanted to do more of. But being an actor in film, you know, I, I know how difficult the director's job is and how much training a lot of these folks have had. And so I, I had held back for a while whilst watching and learning. Um, and then Darlin was offered to me as my first feature to direct. And I thought, wow, great. Let's do this. I should say this, sorry, the sequel to The Woman was offered to me as my first feature to direct. And I said, Who's writing it? And the producer told me a couple of people they had in mind. And I said, Do you know what? Can I write it? And then that's (laughs) how that happened.
0: (laughs) I really, I really like that answer. That sort of, that was part of my next question, but that's fantastic. So did they have any, uh, any outline as to where they wanted it to go, or were you left completely to your own devices?
2: It was delightful. I was left completely to my own devices. Um, you know, being in this world, involved in this world for so long, playing the woman in the previous two films and feeling very taken under the wing of Lucky in a collaborative regard on that film as well, um, on the woman. I, I was aware of, I'd, you know, we'd all thought about where it might go. But I think the ideas that had come up before that I'd heard of was like, Something I talked to the producer about, probably on on Offspring it was, in fact, before the woman was even happening, was like, oh, you know, what if it was in the – it was – no, but it was after the woman, though, because I was conscious of the city country cross. Anyway, there was an idea that somebody uh, that we came up with. It might have been me that we were in a conversation about where the woman could be in the woods, kind of terrorizing some teenage boys on a camping trip. Um, that was one of them. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Dallas, uh, Jack Ketchum's real name is Dallas Mayor. Um, Dallas also had written a short piece called The Cow, which was focusing on the character of the cow from Offspring. Um, and I read that and it was a writer's retreat, I think, and the woman was there terrorizing people. Um, and uh, I said, oh, I don't think I'd want to do this one. It was just too much for me. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, something I would have wanted to do. But it kind of had, wasn't an official thing. You know, it was just like he'd written a, a novel, uh, a small novel, as a sequel of his own. And, and, and it wasn't like anyone was saying, shall we make this film completely at the time? He just sent it to me to read. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, that's something that would be a bit much for me to do, you know, as an actor. So I was kind of glad it didn't happen. Um, so by the time a few years later, it came to, you know, do you want to direct the sequel? And he's saying I was wanting to write it. It was really an open, open field in front of me, which was lovely. Um, and I wanted to do justice to, the films that had come before and Ketchum's work. And so as I wrote it, I just knew that I wanted to, you know, bring in all the all the elements of the world that had come before and but also be conscious that it was my voice now writing it. And so I had to take it in my own personal direction. And it came quite naturally to me the story. I really considered taking Peggy's character at first, the teenage daughter at the end of yeah. the woman, because of course we know so much about her inner life from the woman. Um, but I really wanted to start off with somebody who hadn't had as much trauma because for me writing it, I wanted to focus on trauma, but I, but I, which is, you know, true to the previous films as well, but I just couldn't bear to put Peggy through any more, to be honest. Um, so it came that Darlin' would be the character I wanted to focus on because she's a little girl. Um, she was five or six at the end of the woman and she always had such spirit and such energy and such beauty about her in that film glowing from within and her her acceptance of the woman and her view of the world was was truly beautiful in that film to me. And so, you know, shall we go feed the mice, for instance? Shall we bring some yeah. cheese for the mice when they go down to the cellar? You know, her mm-hmm. love of music. And so I wanted to live with this character. And uh, I was beginning to think, well, what would it be like if she went into sort of civilised quote unquote normal quote unquote world if she'd been living in the woods with the woman for all these years? well the rest you have to see in the film but you know it it was really about about also my experience as a teenage girl because when I totted the years up and thought about the age she would be how could I get her to an age where some stuff could go down and I wouldn't feel that she was being exploited as a character in film especially in in horror because not everything is in your control as a writer director of course so first of all it comes with the script but secondly it also came with my knowledge that there would be other voices involved in edits and, and in final work and Um, I really, really wanted to protect a teenage girl as a lead in a horror movie. Um, So I made her, you know, 16, 17-ish, and then took her on a journey that I could very much relate to from being a teenage girl and beginning to grow into looking like a woman, but not being allowed the space to explore that alone without society's infringement upon that and abusive Mm -hmm. infringement at times, Uh, very often, in fact, whether conscious or unconscious. Um so it kind of came out of that. And when I discovered that one in six Americans are treated in Catholic in hospitals run by the Catholic Health Organization, without knowing that they're actually within a religious organization, and that the rules might be different, it really reminded me of something I'd always been conscious of in this country, which is the lack of separation of church and state, despite it being held up as one of our great prides. So it kind of, you know, it all just started tying together.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's that all, to be honest, that level of thought and consideration comes through in the film. I was going to ask, although you've kind of answered it, but I'll ask anyway, just in case it, it something yeah. anything else. Um, all three films deal with some pretty sensitive content, obviously. I did feel that Darling was probably the most justified narratively in what it puts its characters through. Was that a, a particular focus when you were writing it? Or do you think that that's just your sensibilities coming through?
2: I think it's not to, I I can't, you know, I was going to answer it in a way that said that everything you've just said, I fully agree with. Um, (laughs) It was, it was, I do actually um, relate to what you're saying. I don't think I went into it going, oh, let's clear up the mess of all those unjustifiable things that happened in those movies before, because that's not the way I feel at all. But I think it is my sensibility that I like to watch great horror, but I find it I find it very upsetting to watch uh, anything torturous and extended. Um, And I, you know, there's kind of a, quite a trend in larger commercial films in that direction. And again, I was like, let's make sure that I'm not suffering through this, that I can lead this team and make it something that is horror and is true horror in, in, you know, in also in, um, the word in, in keeping with Ketchums you know yeah. uh, work as well, but that we can actually be in, in it and enjoy the characters and get loving and caring about these characters so that whatever they go through, we're with them and we're in their experience of it, rather than watching it like a oh, and here comes the here comes the, the time we get to enjoy watching people suffer. You know what I mean? Not that, not that horror fans watch movies like that in general. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think the simple answer is a bit of both. A bit of both. Um, I wanted to ensure that we had some inventive and fun kills for the woman to do. Yeah. Because that is part of, you know, this character is so unusual. Um, and that is part of who she is. And I wasn't about to sanitize her. Um, I also didn't want her just to be killing bad guys because I didn't want to go, oh, now she's, you know, on a moral crusade for womanhood. She's not, she's See, doing what she's she needs
0: to, of chaos. to do. <laughs>
2: yeah, she's, a, she's, well, she's a, she's an animal doing a, a, a smart one, doing what she needs to do. And sometimes she just needs to eat and sometimes she needs to get some energy and aggression out. And sometimes she needs to, um, but she's a thinking animal, you know? Um, so, uh. I didn't want to make the woman my my own female anger in disregard for the character. Do you know what I mean?
0: I felt, and this is not good interview technique to tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's do it really badly. How about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's always a bit conversational on the podcast. Uh, one of the things I liked about it was I felt that she was representative of the directionless violence of the animal kingdom, whereas the human characters were representative of the judgment that we have to put upon the similar actions when they are done by someone with a moral compass
2: interesting I love that I love that that and I was conscious of this as a filmmaker from from the very beginning of making this of you know just of the way that I like to work I really love people to find their own messages and experiences with the film because the reason that I came to being an actor in the first place was my own very personal experience with character and story and actors performances in things you know and I felt connected to them in a way that they might have not even been conscious of what they were doing you know in certain places but Uh, Or it might not be the intention of the filmmaker, but I connected with these stories and these moments on such a personal level that I'm really excited for other people to do that, too. So I never feel it's my job to sort of say, oh, no, it wasn't that. It was this or this is what you're supposed to feel you're supposed to take from it. But one thing I will say is that when you say the sort of the uh, directionless violence of the animal kingdom, I don't really see it that way at all. Like there is something to be reckoned with, I think, in general. Um, as a species that we don 't consider ourselves animals, we consider ourselves apart yeah. from them, and we are that you know we are animals, <laughs> and we do <laughs> think sometimes that defy our societal logic and defy our our understandings of our our understanding of ourselves, but without uh, uh, reckoning with our capacity in all its in, in its wide spectrum i don 't think we can be honest with ourselves as a society, and it 's particularly it comes up particularly for me right now because i'm living in america and you know the police brutality and the the racial justice fight that we all have to be in is just it, so many things are being seen that weren't recognized before and there is uh, a lot of upset and frustration in me that you know it, it hasn't been seen and that even now that it is being seen there are still those that say yeah but yeah. in a similar way i think that we uh, and especially in American culture, try and sort of sanitize the human experience and act as if we don't, you know, fucking and shit and, and piss, you know, to put, yeah. it, to put yeah. it simply. You know? <laughs> or, or have thoughts that we're ashamed of, you know, or do things that surprise us and shock us. We like to imagine we're these controlled, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, pure humans and that we're different from animals. And, 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 and I relate to the woman in many ways. You know,
0: <laughs> I want other people to as well I'll, I'll, um, as our baser instinct.
2: <laughs> but I don't, of course, want any of us to be going out and, and doing what she does, and you know, <laughs>
0: cannibalizing
2: and murdering. So yeah, I don't think the woman is um, is is exactly the senseless, the chaotic, or directionless violence of animals. I think that she is the survival instinct of animals that we all have. Um, and I think that one of the great things about playing that character has been that for the first time in my acting career, when I started playing her, I didn't have to look at how uh, she would have been influenced by our modern society, you know. So yeah. just going off into the woods and walking with a gait that didn't say, don't attack me. I'll keep myself p- proper. You know, I'll be feminine you know, and this may sound dramatic, but like those are the things inherent in being being a woman in our society. We have to reckon and think about those things. They're just in our in our genetic DNA at this point, you know, Um and she she and in the woman I got her. uh She was in a different position because she was much more contained. But in Darlin', again, she was out on her own. And um it was funny. I, I didn't. Do this necessarily consciously i think but her gait became, became even wider you know yeah <laughs> she's really got her legs wide ass out in it partly because she's a bit older and she's been through more and it's hard living out in the woods you know on the body but um but also partly because it was like i was in charge now and it was like she was even more like not holding the expected femininity in her body does that make sense
0: yeah She's yeah. She's she's not confined by those sort of societal rules about what that means to be. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. She's never seen a mirror,
0: for instance. I must say, I loved the moment in the car <laughs> so much.
2: <laughs> Thank you. No, that's not no. a spoiler. A dark sky actually released a little clip of that before the film even came out in the states. Oh, you so was
0: um... absolutely wonderful.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And and again, those changes in tone and that the humor in the film, I think, you know, is also very much part of my sensibility. But again, also influenced by, you know, the woman has got a lot of dark humor in it. it's it got a lot of voice in it. It's got a lot yeah. of sharp comedy in it. Um, and it was funny to be to be <laughs> working with people who'd read that script <laughs> and, then, and then they saw the edit and they were like, Oh, I, I don't think people are going to like these. This, 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 this jokiness. its making it all very silly. And I felt like it was that that um, you know Colonel or whatever in Monty Python who's going, uh, <laughs> you know,
0: "Stop this! Stop this! It's all getting
2: too silly." <laughs> Telly's not a real
0: vicar; his hair's too long. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it, because you did it with a smash cut as well. Just thank yeah, you, fantastic. thank you,
2: thank um, you. Yeah. I think the Europeans and the Brits especially are going to appreciate that side of it even more than, you know, the American audience have, though, though I have had lots of people who've loved that too.
0: I think that's probably all we have time for. Um, my last question has to be, are you uh, lining up to direct anything else?
2: Yes, I am. I have a few uh, different ideas. And I, in the past, I've been far too open. In as you can tell, I'm, I'm quite a motor Uh, far too open in sharing them, but I've got three different main stories that I'm focusing on right now. And and one is in a a city and one is um, very much on the the sort of nature themes. um, And the other one is, uh, is a dark comedy. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to make something. And I think at this point, the way the industry is going, I will probably need to make something myself, even if it's in the meantime, you know, because yeah, I just can't wait that long. But I do have a film coming out in December called Death Samba, uh, which, yeah, which I did a a short piece in called Getting Away From It All. So it's a horror anthology based around Christmas. And I made a a five minute short as part of that called Getting Away From It All. And Lucky's got a film in there as well. Lucky McKee he did The Woman, of course. And um, this is for your audience. And there's lots of great filmmakers involved. So I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing put together.
0: That's very exciting. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, Thank you, Dan. And thank you so much for darling.
2: Thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Um,
0: Yeah.
2: It was very, very fun. Thank
1: you. Cheers. Cheers. Fantastic, Dan. That that was a surprise to me. And obviously I haven't heard it, so I'll listen to it when I listen to this episode. But I'm so glad you did that. That is fantastic. Brilliant. And I'm sure it was wonderful. I look forward to hearing it. Uh, Now, the second extra feature... Uh, is an email. It came in just after midnight this morning. Um, and it was, it tied in with kind of how I felt about the film. It's about the woman, it's about offspring. Um, so I'm just going to read it out now. And it starts with, and before you get upset by how this starts, precious arrowhead, don't worry, there's it, a PS. So we're going to, we're just going to go with it. Dear Sam, more than Dan. I have recently rewatched The Woman, and it still holds up as an exquisite film. This time around, though, I followed up my viewing with watching The Offspring. Definitely the weaker of the two, I felt it lacked atmosphere, and with uh, poor characters, Uh, Pollyanna McIntosh, though, was still standout amongst the rabble, very little threat too. Uh, The Mess, on the other hand, was great, lovely stuff for the budget they had available. One thing that makes The Woman so good is how it manages to get the audience to relate and sympathise with The Woman and root for her, unlike Offspring, uh, which personally made me dislike her character due, due to the cruel things she partakes in. I wonder how my outlook of her during The Woman would have been if I'd have seen Offspring first. Would it have been different? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Finally, I've only just discovered that there is a 3 course so now I am a source out darling, to find out how The Woman's tale ends. Uh, Yours ever listening, Martin Oliver Kendall, in brackets Molly. P.S. This is addressed to both of you. I only said Sam more than Dan due to my last email, which stated it the other way round. I appreciate that, Molly. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Dan, uh, we talked about this a little bit, I guess, in the episode itself, but and, and the fact that we had no idea Offspring existed. How do you think, if you could, uh, you know, re step into the Rick and Morty VR device and live a life in which you watched Offspring first, how do you think that would have impacted on, in, on your viewing of, of
0: the woman? Uh, I don't know, <laughs> 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 I, <laughs> I think. Like, I, I definitely think The Woman benefited from having seen Offspring. Yeah. But it still remains my least favourite of the three. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would have liked... I, I think I would have probably enjoyed it slightly more the first time if I had seen Offspring beforehand. Yeah. And I, to be honest, going back to it, I'm surprised Fright Fest didn't programme Offspring in the smaller screen like the day before or something. Totally. I think that would have made sense.
1: Yeah, cuz the director of Offspring was there. He was in the um yeah, cause, he's in
0: the panel. Yeah, cuz he produced um The Woman. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so so he was on that 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 big panel and I think maybe uh, a screening would have provided even more context for that. Um Yeah. But but you know, who knows? Fright Fest show a lot of films, so um maybe there wasn't room for it, maybe it was a particularly banner year. I don't actually remember. Um 2011, it would have been, wouldn't it? Uh, But anyway, I'm rambling. Yeah, it's really hard. They all blur together, don't they? They really do. They really do. And um, yeah, I I can't wait to see what happens in October um, for the the Arrow Video Fright Fest, which obviously has been delayed from August and will now happen um, around Halloween. So we're still waiting for more news on that. But, um, you know, long may Fright Fest live on. And hopefully we can still do a live episode in some form by then um who knows but anyway that's it that's all of extra features that's all of us talking about these films um next time we're going to be doing white fire yes yes finally some
0: highbrow cinema
1: (laughs) i am honestly i am so excited about white fire um you've already said dan that you think it's going to be up my street and just reading around it it just sounds amazing so I'm yeah. gonna have my first viewing of that uh, over the next couple of weeks. And we encourage Do you have any you do you have any whiskey the there, same. Sam?
0: Do you have any I, you're, in, you're in Scotland, presumably you're surrounded by whiskey? I, c-
1: I can pick up some whiskey. I know how to source that. It's a whiskey movie. It's a whiskey movie. All right. Well, um I will I will enjoy Whitefire. You have to
0: You have to do a shot whiskey. every time you're made slightly uncomfortable by the obvious lack of health and safety around a stunt.
1: <laughs> all right well that that sounds like a deal to me um grand and we encourage you to watch it as well it will be one that we don't go into too many spoilers about but i have a feeling i mean literally be... we could
0: describe the whole thing and no one would have a fucking clue what happened <laughs> oh,
1: i can't wait <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait all right so um dan how can people find you online
0: uh i am at 13 finger fx uh, on twitter and on instagram Yeah, I'm trying to do more like fun, jovial posting on Twitter, but mostly it's just me being very cross uh, about the world. Um, I did recently post some nice posters that I put up on my wall. I swapped out my kitchen posters. Um, I saw that very nice choices. I'll try and do more upbeat. Yeah, I thought that was a nice one. I um, uh, I'm going to say a thing, and then I might have to, and then I'll find out if it's okay to say it, and then I'll cut it out. I'll ask Mike to cut it if it's not Mm -hmm. okay. So it's just a thing. Um, actually, one of those posters, uh, Murder Rock. I'm going to be recording uh, an episode of strong language and violent scenes about next week. So, that was some inspired shit. shifting the uh, the episodes around the, the posters around.
1: I cannot wait to listen to that. I love that podcast, and um, I have watched that film with you. And holy shit, <laughs> I will be listening to that one. Excellent. All right, uh, you can find me at Sam Ashurst on Twitter um and at sam asher's 23 on instagram the number two the number three um but mostly i'm just going to be doing podcasts so um yeah don't 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 worry too much about following me on social media uh my first love will always be the way we get to communicate with you through this podcast so thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time We do. That's a literal promise. Always. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye.